0: I think for many of us, if we were honest, we would say worry and anxiety plays really too big of a role in our lives. It really has too much of a voice. We allow it to control us too much. Uh, you know what? There was a study done in 2006 by Dr. Walter Ker- Kervet, and he found that 40% of the things we worry about never happen. 30% of our worries, uh, worry concerns are in the past. 12% is needless worries about our health. are insignificant or petty, and 8% are legitimate issues. So that means that 92% of our worry is over things that won't happen or things that can't change. 92% of the things we worry about are things we can't control or things that won't change. Yet we continue to worry and not enjoy our lives every day. Well, what should we do? I like what uh, Michael DeMoge said. He said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. <laughs> Here's what I found. And, and, and the phrase that kind of came to my mind this week as I was preparing the message was, it, it was something, but it was nothing. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. So about, it was probably about three or four weeks ago, uh, Carol and I were fast asleep, and uh, all of a sudden, a loud noise woke us up, and it was loud, and so we go, and okay, what was that? And then Carol says, and we're, we have a two-story house, she says, I think someone's walking around in the hallway, Right? The door is shut, and she hears something now, I need to tell you two things: number one, our kids are out of the house there 's nobody in the house, just Carol and me that 's it there's no no boys you know it was, oh, it's just one of the boys no can 't do that anymore because they 're gone. The second thing is i 'm taking her word for it because i don 't really hear it, but she's and, and I just like there 's probably something in the hall, someone in the hallway. So I grabbed my 44 Magnum. No. (laughs) I don't, I don't have a 44 Magnum. But I did grab a hockey stick. (laughs) Don't know why I have that, but do. I went out in the hallway, checked every room. You know, expecting to see somebody, sinister character. Nobody, and there's four bedrooms, so you're going through each bedroom, you know, checking the closet, checking things. No one's there. So you go downstairs. You think you hear another noise? I thought I heard another noise. Looking all around downstairs, check the front door. It's locked. It's locked. So I'm feeling a little better, but then I'm hearing another noise. And Carol says from upstairs, "Did you hear that?" No, I don't hear anything. (laughs) So I checked up. I, I checked the main floor. There's no. There's nobody there. You know, I felt like going, ha, like that, you know, but I didn't do that. So now i got to go down in the basement, right? So I go down to the basement, flip the lights on, make noise, you know, go down there. And nobody's down there. All of a sudden I hear it again. And Carol says, I think it's outside. I said, all right. So I put on my uh, uh, shoes and walk outside. And the garbage can is knocked over. There's a raccoon runs away. And I go it's just a raccoon now it was something it was something but it was nothing Right, isn't that a lot of what we get ourselves worked up about it was something But it was really nothing. And that's kind of the way that's the kind of the way it works It was something but it was really nothing Now, Paul is going to give us a hand this weekend. He's going to show us how we can deal with our fears, our anxiety, and really just our worry, the whole thing of worry that we just struggle with. So I'd love you to follow along with me. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to jump down to verse 4 of Philippians 4. It's on page 901. If you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles. Just open the chair Bible, it's on page 901, and I'm going to start reading at verse 4, because Paul says, some, this is probably one of my favorite passages in the book of Philippians. It's a great passage of scripture. Philippians 4, and I'm going to just read verses 4 through 9, page 901. Now, the other thing I need to tell you is I'm going to read it in the New International Version. It's a little different, it's going to read a little different. If you're in your uh, chair Bible, it's going to read a little different. But you'll you'll see, it's not all that different. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, let me just stop there for a minute. It says, be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. I do it exactly the opposite. I don't know about you. I'm anxious about everything, but I don't pray about much. If you found that? We do it exactly the opposite. of what Scripture says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And so he goes on. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice And the god of peace will be with you Now paul's going to give us some steps to take four steps to take that will help us in this battle and getting a grip on worry The first one is this that we need to set some reasonable and realistic Expectations part of the problem is we have expectations that are unreasonable when I was a kid I remember that I spoiled, I pre-spoiled like Christmas, my birthday, vacations. And how did I do that? I did it because I had such high expectations. I mean, virtually there was nothing that, that, that could be done that would make me feel good about it. I mean, I found out that I set myself up. So, I, I, you know, when we would go on vacation, we would rent a cottage every now and then, every other year probably for a week, and we'd rent a cottage. And I you know, lifted up expectations. The weather was horrible. Right. Or you you have this uh, expectation for your birthday and it, your birthday was OK, but it was, you know, it just doesn't measure up. It just I mean, it was very rare that you had it Says well that, you know, ex- exceeded my expectations. Why? Because my expectations were so sky high. There was no way to do it. We need to adjust our expectations. Now, what do I mean by that? As a Christian, Jesus says in the world, you will have what tribulation. If you don't if you don't expect tribulation in your life and you're surprised by it. You're a fool. I mean, not really a fool, but you, you understand what I mean. You're not being realistic. We need to remember we live in a fallen world where bad things happen. People aren't always kind. Many times they're just plain jerks. They don't always go. Things don't always go your, go your way. This side of heaven. Life isn't fair. Now, the other side of the coin is this. On the other hand, we also know the Bible is a book filled with hope. We know that God loves us and has a plan for this world and for those who love Him. We know that He's always with us, that He knows our pain and suffering because He entered into our world. He entered into our suffering. He knows loneliness, pain, and betrayal. We have an eternal hope. God tells us how it's all going to turn out. Read the book of, Genesis, the book of Revelation. It's all going to turn out good. In, in, in a blink of an eye, in Thessalonians, it says, The dead in Christ will rise, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's how it all ends. So we know the ending. We know the final score. And so, yes, we have to have realistic expectations to realize that we're not on a golf course playing golf. We're in the middle of a highway, and there's cars there, and it's dangerous. And we're going to get hurt in life. And it's not going to be fair. But the good news is God has won the battle. Jesus said it is finished. He rose from the dead. And he says, just as I rose one day, you will rise. So we, we have an eternal hope. That See, you don't just ump yourself over your circumstances. We have a hope from Scripture that does it. And we have to have that. Paul said this in Colossians. You don't have to turn there, but it's Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. What Paul's saying there is he's not saying don't ever think about the things of earth. What he's saying is if your hope is fixed here on earth, you're in trouble. If, if, if hope is this side of the grave, then you're in trouble. Because you're going to be you're going to be discouraged, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, the whole world will share in all of His glory. So Paul's basically saying, be heavenly minded, have this eternal hope. Because when you have this eternal hope, you know what hope is? Hope in the Bible is like a cork. You, a good cork, you keep, you push it down, and it it just keeps popping up, doesn't it? Paul basically says we have an eternal hope that goes beyond the grave we have the promise of his presence as we go through the dark valleys of life we have a friend who sticks closer to the brother so in this world uh, it's a beautiful it's at the same time it's a beautiful dark place (laughs) that's the world we live in right? But we have a hope that helps us rise above the circumstances. So, so this is a this is the passage I want you to turn to. It's page eight eighty four, and it's Second uh, Corinthians four. This is what I call the you know, Paul's cork verses, because Paul is the cork. All right, think of just Paul being a cork in in a you know in a pool of water, and and this is what Paul says, Second Corinthians chapter four verse eight. This is page uh, 884. So I'm going to do 8 and 9, and I'm going to jump down to verses 16 and 17. Paul says, we are pressed on every side, that's verse 8, by troubles. But we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven in despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we never get destroyed. There's the cork, right? This is why we never give up though. Our bodies are dying. Our spirits are being renewed every day I felt that way this weekend the last couple days. I've been doing Physical labor and I go man, my body really is letting me down here, you know (laughs) Body's going here. Let me down too (laughs) For our present troubles are small and won 't last very long yet they produce for us a glory that 's vastly outweighs them and will last forever. so we don 't look, look at troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen for the things we see now will soon be gone, and the things that we cannot see will last forever paul 's basically saying, when you ha- your eyes are fixed on heaven, you become like a cork, you can get knocked down, but you get up you 're never knocked out. <laughs> Because God has given us this heavenly hope, so the first step of of overcoming anxiety, overcoming this 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 idea that we're just um, fearful and and uh, is that we have unrealistic realistic expectations. All right. Secondly. We need to see the spirit, our spiritual struggle, that we're going through a spiritual struggle. Before you were a Christian, you may not know this, before you were a Christian, your main enemy was a good guy. It was God, someone who loved you and cared for you, someone who was trying to wake you up. That was before, right? Now, when you became a Christian, you, all your enemies are bad guys, And here's your enemies here's a list of your enemies and paul lays them out the world the flesh right and the devil The world the flesh and the devil and if you don't understand your enemies you're going to become like a sitting duck Now these enemies can't take your salvation away. They don't have that power They can't uh pluck you out of god's mighty sovereign hands jesus said in john, uh in romans, uh you, no one will snatch them out of my hands. Your salvation, uh, they can't destroy your salvation. But they, what they want to do, what these uh, is, and they work in conjunction with each other. And they're not, you know, like the world, the flesh, and the devil aren't necessarily personalities. The last one is a personality. But uh, the point is... They're they're working together in conjunction, and what they want to do is they want you to be miserable. They want to cause you to be filled with fear, worry, guilt, and doubt. They want to destroy your peace and joy. Essentially, I've said this before. What they want to do is they want to rub your face in the mud and mock God. That's what they want to do. The world, the flesh. And the devil all work together. Now, how does the world work? Well, the world—that's the mindset of secularism. That's the now, the present, the here and now. And 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 we have many people who are just buying into this uh, this culture. It's part of our pop culture. It says, "Live life here and now. Eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Get it all here because if you don't get it all here, you're going to miss out on something. That's that that's the world. Um, you you need to get it now." Uh, now is uh, whenever uh, here and now is threatened you begin to worry You say well, i'm all worried. I'm, I'm i'm concerned about that That's why paul basically was saying in these two passages. Don't worry about the things here and now Because there's something better There's something eternal what here and now is not going to last but then and there will right So that's the world the flesh the flesh uh, That's the selfish part of you that wants to be god now, you have to be honest. You all know that, right? You all know how there's a part of you that's rebellious, a part of you that wants to take control, a part of you that wants to be king. Uh, the flesh is not here. Paul's not talking about the body. It's part of what tries to be God, to be in charge, to be selfish. Uh, when your flesh is allowed to go unchecked, it will destroy you and it will leave you alone. You not know, have a lot of friends when you allow the flesh to take over because you basically, it's all about me, me, me. And people don't want to be around me, 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 right? <laughs> they want to be around people who aren't all consumed by that. The last enemy, so you have the world, the flesh, and then the devil. The devil is a supernatural personality who is in charge of a world, uh, of a, a whole horde of other supernatural personalities, demons, demons. Okay, so the devil doesn't probably know your name Uh, a few things to know about the devil He is not omnipresent meaning. He's not everywhere at the same time. He's not omnipotent He's not all-powerful, and he's not omniscient meaning he doesn't know everything Okay but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a network of minions, a network of evil demons, uh, fallen angels, and others. And the main role of the devil is to accuse you. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants to destroy your peace and joy. And his minions are doing the same thing. They're basically wanting you to uh, doubt your faith, doubt your. So it goes like this: they they call you out as a failure. Um, what do you do? What they want to do is they want to destroy this assurance of your salvation. Uh, they, they say things like this. How could God forgive you for that? But don't fall for their schemes. They don't want you to look at your, your sins more. That, that's what really essentially what they want to do. They, they want you to focus on your sins and your failures more than your salvation and Savior. That's what they're all about. You must remind yourself over and over of the gospel. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're accepted. Uh, you need to keep rehearsing the gospel. You, you, you say to yourself, I never was good enough. There was never the basis in the first place. Right? You have to tell yourself that because you'll get into that. You'll get into that game because the, the enemy will say you're not good enough. Why would, why would you think God loves you and accepts you and forgives you? Look at you. And you say, well, if it was based on my behavior in the first place, I was dead. It still isn't. It's based upon Christ. You go to the gospel, you go to the cross. It wasn't about you being good anyway. So, so, that, so that's the second thing. Know your enemy. Know your and there, there's multiple enemies, and they work in conjunction, right? The third thing to give us a, a, a foothold on worry is this: speak to your troubled heart. Uh, there's a wonderful verse in Psalm 42:5. And this, I came across this a number of years ago, and it was so helpful to me. Um, David is speaking, and David says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. So I came across this passage, and the thought I had was, Who's David talking to? (laughs) Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. He's talking to his soul. He's talking to his heart. He's saying... Heart, why are you downcast? Why are you troubled, heart? Why are you upset, heart? Why are you fearful, heart? He's talking to his heart. And you say, well, that sounds crazy. No, it's not crazy. It's actually very smart. Have you found your heart can get troubled? It can get worried. It can get anxious. And I've said this before, that one of the best things you could do is have somebody who's close to you say, you know, I'm hearing worried words come out of your mouth. I'm, I'm hearing troubled words coming out of your mouth because out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. So David's saying to his troubled heart, what, what, what's going on? What's going on? The other thing I found is interesting is sometimes our hearts divided. And, and maybe this is where you're struggling and where the fear and the worry comes in. Uh, because you're, you've got all these other, there's too many things to manage and you, you're, you're losing control. You're losing, you feel like I've got all these things and I don't know what to do and I'm overwhelmed and I'm just, I just don't know what to do. And I'm just, I'm here and I'm here and I'm here and I'm worried about this and I'm thinking about this and I'm, and, and it's just overwhelming, right? Have you ever gotten that place? I have absolutely. But you know, it's interesting. That uh, you try to focus on too many things, um, often the wrong things, and it leads you to worry and anxiety. Um, some of you run the what-ifs in life. Oh, what if? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's hard to be around a person where you're saying, hey, I think we'll do this. Well, can we? Should we? <laughs> hey, the doctor said I had a good bill of health. Really? Are you sure? <laughs> Have you found your heart, though, pulled in multiple scenarios? What do you do? Jump over to page uh, 793. This is a great, and it's just a one verse. I'm going to jump on it. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 40. So this is the story of Martha and Mary, okay? Story of Martha and Mary. And uh, Jesus is coming to visit, and they're good friends with Jesus. And basically, you know... <laughs> It's 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 an amazing passage of Scripture. Martha is trying to get the house in order. She's trying to prepare a nice meal for Jesus. And Mary isn't helping. Now, there's maybe something going on there, but let's not read between the lines because let's just see what Jesus is saying. So in verse 40, it says this. Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord... Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Now, notice what Jesus says. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. I think think she was task-oriented, right? She had all these tasks. Notice the next words. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Martha is just worried about this and worried about this and worried about this. And Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet in peace, calm. Jesus, I'm not going to take that from her. I'm not going to put a boatload of worry on her. She's chosen the one thing, the one thing worth being concerned about. This is really the crux of where our worry comes from. And it's the song that we finish singing where we forget how great thou art. Mary's sitting there saying, man, he's great, isn't he? And her worries seemed to melt away. Peace is the opposite of worry. Peace is the confident trust in God's wise and loving plan for your life. When your heart begins to speak worry and fear into your life, you need to speak back to your heart. Paul says this in the passage we read from Philippians. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. What is it think? Tell your heart. Stop your heart. Direct your heart. See, worry, did you know that worry is not thinking? Stop worrying and start thinking. You need to speak to your anxious and troubled heart. You need to say, shut up. Stop it. I'm not going to allow that. See, we need to speak to our hearts rather than listening to them. And that's where we, that's where the wheels come off. We begin to listen to our troubled, worried, um, anxious heart. And we need to stop listening to our heart and we need to speak to our heart. We need to take control over our heart. And the way we do that is we stop and we say, no, I'm not going to do that. I am going to speak to you. I am going to direct you. I am going to guide you. Here's one last thing. You need to settle your eternal destiny. this may be the most important point of anything that I'm talking about. Um, If you don't get this right, you'll fail to conquer worry. You're not going to conquer worry. And it's really the starting point of peace. Here's, Here's the principle. You'll never experience the peace of God until you have peace with God. Let me say it one more time. You'll never experience the peace of God until you have peace with God. Till you have peace with God, you'll never experience the peace of God. One has to come first before the other. And there are people who are trying to find peace, uh, you know, the peace of God, but they've never made peace with God. You know, the old timers used to make have a phrase to people who came to the end of their lives, and they would say something like, have you made your peace with God? And what they were referring to is what Paul said in Romans 5.1. This is what Paul said in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. So we don't make peace by being good enough, by being born in the right family, by following a certain tradition. We don't make peace with God. We can't make peace with God. And that's religion. And there's a lot of people out there practicing religion. They're trying their best to do enough to be acceptable to God. That'll never happen and it'll never work. We are made We we are given and have peace with God through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. So I ask you again, have you made peace with God? You make peace with God by saying, Jesus, I'm a mess. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I desperately need a savior. You came from heaven to earth to rescue me, to save me, to set me free from sin and death. You paid the price. You took my place. You uh, took my sin and gave me your righteousness you did all of that for me You gave your life for me and now I give my life to you as a sinner I give my life to you and we make our peace with God by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We get it as a gift that's what Ephesians says in two chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 where Paul says for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves a gift of God not of works So the question is have you ever done that? Have you ever made peace with God? Have you ever called upon the Lord? Have you ever asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and to be your Savior? Because until you do that, you will not have the peace of God. The peace of God comes to those who are already at peace with God. Okay? You don't get peace by being good enough, doing enough, believing enough. Peace comes to us uh, by the peace offering. Jesus dying on a criminal's cross for your sins and mine. So have you done that? Have you asked Him? come into your life. Because when you do that, things change quite dramatically. The last thing I want to share with you is this, that just the thought of worry is not a sin. Because sometimes you think, oh, I worried, so therefore I need to confess it. (laughs) No, worry is not a sin. Living there is. There's a difference between being worried about something and living there. You say, well, how long is living there? I don't know. <laughs> that's a good question. But there are certain things that immediately you hear news and you say, oh, no, right? That's our natural reaction. That's okay. The question is, are you going to live there? Are you going to live in worry? Have you been living in worry this last week? Have you been living in worry this last month? Are you worried about something that's happening this week, this month? Are you living there? Are you, do, you, have you, do you have a mansion there you know, and you're living in worry land, and that's that's what's sinful. sinful is where you're dwelling. The question is it's not that you're not going to have those shots where you're going to say, "Oh I'm concerned, I'm worried, I'm anxious, but you catch yourself and you say no, that's that's not where I'm going. you remember how great thou art, right? How great God is and that's how we conquer worry. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever." Think on these things Stop that worried heart And start instead of listening to it Start talking to it and say no 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 Know who your enemies are right Such reasonable expectations Know that you're living in a fallen world That things aren't going to always work out right Right And then finally Make sure you've made your peace with God Because until you have peace with God You can't experience the peace of God Stand with me let's pray And so, Father, uh, thank you for loving us and caring for us. Thank you that we can live at peace and not have to worry about everything and be anxious about everything. Help us to do what the Scripture tells us to do in the passage we read today. To pray about everything and not to worry. Help us not to fall in the pattern of worrying about everything and not praying about anything. Help us to remember the example of Mary and Martha. This one thing she has chosen. May we always remember that when we're sitting at your feet and we're trusting in your sovereign power in our lives, knowing that this isn't a surprise, whatever it is that's come into our life, you were aware of it, you knew it, and you're in control, and we can trust you. Knowing that, knowing that, we don't have to fear. We'll have peace. Father, thank you for Paul who says, we're perplexed, we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. We're like a cork because we have a hope that is beyond this world. Thank you, Father, for just your word tonight. Speak to our hearts. We love you because you first loved us. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.